Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. All right, I got a really cool interview with you guys, uh, for you guys, with Nick Moraldo of That's Hockey Talk. Uh, he's a great, great podcaster. Also on the Pat McAfee Show, if anybody listens to that. Uh, so you might notice and uh, recognize his voice from that. But uh, before that, I just have a couple of quick news and notes for you. Toronto actually making a pair of deals, one early in the morning and one coming right here uh, about five minutes before I started to record. So Toronto... Earlier today, shipping off Mason Marchment to the Florida Panthers for Dennis Mulgan. Mulgan, kind of a short, scrappier dude, going to play in the bottom six. Uh, Keith says, well, he's an NHLer, so he can help us that way. Just really a, a depth move, I think. And considering that the team um, has kind of had issues with their bottom six as of late, adding another option uh, at a very low contract, I, I think is something that the Leafs, wanted to do, and and uh, Mulgan reportedly, according to Pierre Lebrun, was looking to get out of Florida. He had asked his agent for a trade out to somewhere that he could go that uh, he would be he would be more uh, get more of a an opportunity, and, and he's hoping that Toronto will be that place. Uh, so the other trade that actually just came down, uh, an inter-arrival divisional trade with the Ottawa Senators, with the Senators getting Aaron Lushik. And a draft pick, this is a conditional six-round pick for Max Veronu. So Veronu last year was a college uh, free agent for the Senators. Played primarily this season down in the minors uh, with Belleville. So I don't know if that's a just another depth move that they're making, if that's just a, a move to kind of help with the Marlies. I am not too sure what that was all about. All I know is that it's a big troll because every time I see Leafs make a trade, go across my dashboard, uh, or I get a, a notification on my phone, or I see it on Twitter, I get real excited, and then I see, oh, for a fourth liner. All right, good stuff, good stuff. But, uh, no, Duvis, heavy on the phones. That is something we do know, and uh, that's... Proven based on him making two more deals today. They're minor, but every deal is worth it. Uh, hoping that he is able to get a bigger deal done later today. And that's something that we'll talk about with our guest, Nick Moraldo. So without further ado, we're going to send it off to Nick Moraldo from That's Hockey Talk uh, with a great conversation that I had with him earlier today. All right, joining me over the line now is Nick Moraldo. That's at Nick Moraldo on Twitter from That's Hockey Talk Podcast with Nick Moraldo and AQ Shipley. Also a member of the Pat McAfee Show, which is absolutely hilarious podcast if you haven't seen it. Uh, I'm a big fan. I love it. Nick, you guys are absolutely hilarious. Uh, it's a must listen to every single day. And I really appreciate you coming on to chat some hockey with me today. <laughs> yeah, brother. Thank you for that incredible intro. And uh, thanks for having me. Uh, always excited to talk about some pucks let's do it all right sounds good to me um so right now as we sit uh so for those who aren't aware nick coming from pittsburgh he's a pittsburgh guy born and bred currently living in indianapolis but uh, obviously you're still a hometown pittsburgh penguins fan so i figured well who better to talk to about the penguins in this home and home series than nick so that's kind of why i brought you on so let's get right to it uh last night the leafs just kind of really kind of crapped the bed against the Penguins. You guys came out firing, though. What were your thoughts on last night's game? Uh, I thought last night kind of summed up the season for both teams in a quick nutshell. Uh, I've been watching from afar the Leafs go through the struggles early with Babcock. 
Uh, and then they ditch him, and obviously Sheldon Keith came in and turned them around. Uh, and they went on a little run there, and it seems like they've cooled off a little bit. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh always battling injuries. It's just been a nightmare, uh, a walking dead march of injuries this entire season. And we saw it continue again with Evgeny Malkin just minutes before the game. Gino ends up sick, not playing. But somehow, someway, it's been a next man up philosophy the entire season. Uh, Anthony Angelo comes in and gets a goal in the game, his first goal in the NHL. Uh, and it was just, uh, to me, it felt like a comedy of errors for the Leafs, unfortunately. Uh, the killing the 5 on 3, and then Teddy Bluger gets the goal to go up 5 nothing, And then the Leafs did come back a little bit. They showed some heart there, but I think it was just too much too late at that point. Uh, the Penguins just, like you said, came out firing, played fast, played their game, and didn't give up too many chances, which is something that they did a lot last year that they've been able to correct was giving up chances. They used to give up a lot of odd man rushes, careless mistakes with the puck. I think that's the biggest difference between last season and this season, taking much better care of the puck. And and really, that does seem like something that it's a team buy-in method that, that the, the Penguins have really had this year. You kind of alluded to it, how it's been a, a next-man-up mentality. Like, Teddy Bluger is a guy who I, quite honestly, really never heard of until this season. And he's out there scoring goals. And they got Brian Rust, who's he's been a good complimentary, a role player throughout his career. Uh, but playing at a point-per-game mm-hmm. pace this year. Jake Gensel, he really picked up the scoring in Crosby's absence early in the year. And now that he's injured... Crosby's back, and he's picking it up once again, trying to to show that he is the top, if not top two players in the world. Like, you've got to be pleased with what this team has done this season, considering that the injuries that they've had. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of it, uh, to make no mention of Tristan Jari yet, is due to him and kind of solidifying that goalie position where Matt Murray's had his struggles. You know, he he just very hot and cold, streaky. Uh, I know, granted, he came back uh, recently and won like six or seven straight games. But, you know, he had his struggles early. And Jari stepped in and didn't miss a beat, played incredible. I think he's like second in the league right now with save percentage behind Rask. But uh, all the guys you mentioned, Rust, uh, Gensel, uh, those two especially were huge, huge off producers the past couple of years, and especially in the cup runs. And they never really had that regular season success. And then Gensel finally started to do it uh, last year. You saw the 40-goal season. And then Russ this year, you're seeing it in the regular season, becoming more and more complete players, finding their game, being more comfortable to carry the puck in themselves and not rely so much on Crosby and Malkin. It's been impressive to see, and it's been very fortunate to see because – as you know, when you build this team around like superstars, you need these complementary players who can provide on these uh, cost-effective deals. And in the defensive unit, uh, a lot of guys stepping up out of nowhere. John Marino, who recently just suffered the broken jaw, has been a godsend as a rookie defenseman and on an entry-level contract who's able to solidify that back end. And then Teddy Bluger, he's a guy, you know, just a workhorse kind of guy, fourth-line center, bumping up, playing some third-line minutes here and there, who got his feet wet last season. So, you know, most people probably weren't paying attention, but he got some games in down the stretch. And then here we go this year. He's ready for that that role, and he just seized it. And he's been uh, – the, the biggest surprise this year for that team has been the, the defensive and offensive prowess of the third and fourth lines. Their depth players are – are solid you can trust them they're not you're you're not scared when they go out there they're not playing the sheltered minutes they they're rolling four lines and they're getting it done and that's a big problem up here in toronto you know outside of the top six there like clearly austin matthews one of the best goal scorers in the league right now he's currently leading in the richard trophy race um and then you got the line also of john Tavares, who's been one of the best 
players of the last decade as well. Like you have that top six for the Leafs, and I think the difference between these two teams is the depth, and that's what kind of makes a team a Stanley Cup contender like Pittsburgh. And last night you kind of showed it. It was it was shown here that the lack of depth that Toronto has it could be a reason why. You know, this team might not make the playoffs. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective as, a, as an outsider outside of the market to get your thoughts on how the Leafs uh, kind of looked last night and how they've looked throughout this season. And as somebody who's maybe doesn't cover Toronto, doesn't have a soft spot for Toronto, you know, what are your thoughts on the team so far this year? Yeah, just watching from afar, you obviously have to love what they can do on offense, right? They've got all the skill in the world and so much talent. It just something's missing, right? There seems to be some type of, I don't know if it's chemistry or if it's like a team commitment to defense, uh, but they, they can score with the best of them. They can run and gun, but you got to be able to defend. And I was looking last night, and like you said, you mentioned the depth. I'm watching the game. Like, I didn't recognize a lot of the guys, um, you know, to get the third and fourth line minutes. And to me, it's like when you have the, the core up front, those stud forwards who can bury the puck all the time, they're going to take chances and they're going to cheat a little bit. And you need to have some veteran players that can play depth roles that can, you know, kind of balance things out and say, okay, you guys take the chances. You guys put the puck in that, but we'll cover for you and we'll make sure we don't get caved in defensively. And, you know, I, I just don't know if they have that. And I don't know how quickly they can get it with the deadline looming. And, and you know, it might be another year or two before they can acquire that type of, those type of players. It was something I saw the Penguins go through early on in like 2009, 2008, when they made their first couple cup runs. They brought in these veteran third and fourth liners like like Yarko Rutu and like Craig Adams and guys who you'll you you usually won't remember years down the road. But when you go back and watch those games, like wow, these guys made such important plays. Like just getting pucks out off the half wall and chipping off the glass and killing penalties. And we know how good Toronto's power play is, but I don't know off the top of my head how good their penalty kill is. I don't know if it's a major weakness or not. <laughs> but I, it's a, again, it's a the, like the, the bottom six, the defensemen, you know, it's like I, I just no names. I don't know. They're not named players to me. So when I look at it, I'm like, okay, I just assume they're not. It's not a strength of their team, right? Yeah, and what's interesting is that you know, defense is always kind of bit, you know, the, the saying is defense win championships. And that's more so, I think, in, in other sports and hockey, since hockey is kind of one of those teams or one of those games where it takes a full effort. But in saying that, the Penguins, interestingly enough, were kind of a team to break that mold a couple of years ago. Like, if you look at the names that were on the Stanley Cup from the Penguins here that they won it uh, back in 2016, 2017, you can't, like, who are they? Right, like there was kind of a uh, just a bunch of people that they kind of slapped together. They brought in Justin Schultz for a third round pick, but they all bought in, and somehow it worked, and they ended up making a huge run, and they ended up winning a, a Stanley Cup. I'm curious to see if that's something that Toronto will be able to do. Probably not this year, but it just seems like for some reason the team hasn't bought in and the team defense, whether that's legitimately the guys playing defense or the forwards out in front not back-checking, that really has been something that the Leafs have been struggling with mightily all season long. And that was you know easily apparent yesterday, like in the game. How many backdoor tap-ins did you see? Four out of the five goals were really backdoor tap-ins. Um, on Freddie Anderson and the Penguins with the skill that they have, they're just going to pass the puck around and they'll put that in the back of the net nine times out of 10. It's just something that Toronto honestly has been dealing with all season long. 
And I don't know if it's too late, if the if the message has gotten stale already from Sheldon Keefe or what the problem is, if they need someone to come in and kind of level things out. But it's really becoming an issue. And as we inch closer and closer to the playoffs, the Leafs are kind of getting in a little bit of trouble here. Yeah, and you mentioned it. Like When the Penguins won those Cups, you nailed it exactly. Those weren't household names on defense. I mean, you had Trevor Daly, who had a pretty solid career, but at the time that the trade was made to get him, he was thought of as washed up. Uh, you know, they bring in guys in the second year when Latang goes down, like Mark Strait and Ron Hainsey, also guys who were you know supposed to be too old, too slow, washed up past their prime, and it's like, it wasn't so much about who was playing defense because the whole team was committed to it. Team defense is such a real thing in hockey that it, it, we all take it for granted and undervalue it. When you get your wingers and your centers back checking and insulating in the defensive zone, it makes it so difficult to play against when guys are selling out, blocking shots, getting in lanes. And it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. Like I remember when those deadlines happened and they picked up some of those guys. I'm like, man, this isn't enough to get it done. This isn't enough to make a run. But somehow, someway, Mike Sullivan was able to convince the superstars on offense and the rest of the guys that, hey, if you play a little bit more defense and just sacrifice a little bit of offense, you'll get chances on counterattacks and you'll be able to get it done. And they did. And I think a lot of teams need to look at that and kind of buy into that model. And, and again, to go back to these non-household name defensemen, they didn't need the, the big studs in the blue line because I think they looked at like those battles with Detroit in those earlier cup runs. And the way Detroit, now Grant Brown, Rafalski, Nick Lidstrom, two of the best to ever do it. Right. But Detroit had a lot of skilled defensemen who weren't very physical. They weren't the biggest guys. And I think the Penguins really tried to emulate that model where we're not so worried about uh, defending down low as we are getting the puck and moving it out of the zone with skill and precision, getting it to Crosby and Malkin with speed so they could attack through the neutral zone. And that was a philosophy that was hard to stomach for a while because you look, you're like, oh, man, why can't we get one of these big bruising defensemen who can clear the net so we don't give up these goals? So it seems like the Leafs are going through right it now. It worked, surprisingly. And that's why, you know, yeah, that's why that's why I'm a fan sitting on the couch watching a game, and these guys are paid millions of dollars to be GMs and uh, win cups. <laughs> no, you're totally true. And, and, and you know, team defense is a philosophy they do have to buy in. We had uh, a gentleman, Craig Button, a former general manager uh, in the NHL. He was on a radio show today, and he mentioned – you know, he kind of brought football into it. He was like, look, football is not too much different when it comes into team defense, right? If you have an offense that has an elite quarterback and elite weapons and elite wide receiver, if you don't have a good line to kind of protect those guys, to give them a chance to do what they do best, you're not going to be successful. And it's same with hockey. You could have an elite goaltender. You could have elite forwards up top. But if nobody wants to help out on defense, you're not going to be able to succeed offensively. And it's just, it, it was something that, I never thought of that way, just kind of comparing the two, but it's totally right. And it's something that I think the Leafs can learn from the Penguins just because of something. It's just what they've done over the last few years, how they've kind of revamped their team. And, you know, they just went out and made another trade with a guy, you know, Jason Zucker, who I think plays a pretty good two-way game. You know, he's an elite goal scorer, but he can also back check with the, with the rest of them. Um, so just kind of moving off of that point, you know, Zucker scored a goal last night. How have you liked him so far since coming to Pittsburgh? I love it, man. I, I know the Pens got hammered online when the trade happened. Everyone said Minnesota fleeced them. But I, I disagree, and I'll tell you why. Because when I look at that trade, I view it from a different perspective, right? I view it from a little bit of a homer lens, but I try and be pretty objective when it comes to this league and, and covering it. But I view it in the homer sense that, like, 
this is in win now mode. Crosby and Malkin probably have another two to three years here to really capitalize. And if they're giving up a little bit more now to get a guy who can score 25 to 30 goals, you would assume he's going to score 30 playing with Sid for a full year. You, it's okay to give up a little bit more because what did they give up? They give up a first-round pick, which is hopefully going to be in the late 20s, if not later. Uh, and we know how those work out. Those are always a crapshoot. There's a gamble. It's, there's some stat that something like less than less than like 10% of those late first-round picks ever become contributing NHL players. Uh, they give up Alex Galchenyuk, who was the return in the Phil Kessel trade. But he has not been the same player this year. He only had a handful of goals. He's battled injuries. Uh, his stock was the lowest it's arguably ever been in his career. Uh, it's it's basically a sunk cost at this point. You know, he's not the 30-goal guy this year he was when he was with Arizona. And you go up a, pro- a promising prospect on defense and, and Kalen Addison. But he's not going to help them win in the playoffs this year. He arguably probably isn't going to help them next year that, with the blue line that they have. So uh, when you can do that and not really give up anyone off your contributing roster – and add a top six forward who's capable of 25 to 30 goals and, like you said, responsible two-way player, I think that's a huge, huge win. And I'm kind of glad that people are down on them because it makes it even sweeter for me to just <laughs> hopefully gloat in everyone's face when Zucker buries a couple playoff goals. Hey, man, I said it right here on this podcast. I'm with you. I think that when you have a team that has guys like Crosby and Malkin going into probably their last five, six years of elite, elite hockey, that's your window to strike. You know, a guy like Kalen Addison, sure, maybe three years down the road, four, maybe even five years for a defenseman, he could become a top four guy. But if you have five years to win, you know, a guy like Zucker is a needle mover. He puts you in the in the market from being a playoff team to a cup contender and if you're giving away first round picks and top prospects that's kind of my way of evaluating it did this make you from a playoff team to a cup contender and in my eyes it did so i was a big fan of the trade and he's just gone out there produced go at three goals in in the four games uh since going to pittsburgh Mm -hmm. so it's turned out pretty well um I just think that you know toronto did something similar where they got ahead of the curve and, and brought in jack campbell and kyle clifford um, and funny enough, there's now a goalie controversy between whether or not to go with Campbell or to go with Anderson. And it turns out today, uh, Sheldon Keefe said that Anderson is going to start again tomorrow night. Uh, do you think that would have been the good? Do you think that that's a good idea for Anderson to go back to back? If you were the coach, would you have went back to Anderson or would you say, you know what? It wasn't your night. Let's give them a different look. Let's go with Campbell. What would you have done if you're Sheldon Keefe? You know what? I'm not going to put that loss on Anderson, but I will say I've been a, a somewhat of a, a doubter of his. Not not quite a hater, but I just don't think he's the guy that can lead them to a Stanley Cup, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's a good platoon guy. I think he can split time with another guy uh, as, a, as like a full-time starting tandem, but I don't think he's the guy that's going to take them on a long playoff run. So I've never really been a big believer in him. I would give Campbell a look. You know, you already saw what Anderson did. Granted, the team in front of him was flat. But I'd see what you have in Campbell against a team like Pittsburgh, who's, you know, right now first in the Metropolitan Division, which is an incredibly tough division. What's the harm in giving Campbell a run here to just see what you have and see how he holds up in these pressure situations? You know, granted, now he's at home. It's a little more comfortable. They should play a much better game at home than they did on the road. So, yeah, if I'm Sean Keefe, I'm, I disagree. I'm going, I'm going with Campbell and seeing what you got. 
Yeah, I agree. I kind of likened it to remember a couple of years ago when Washington won the won the cup. They ended up actually about this time of year sat Brayden Holpe and Philip Grubauer kind of ran them into the playoffs and then even started the first couple of games in the playoffs. He eventually faltered and then Holpe took the job back in the playoffs and then went on to win the Stanley Cup. But I kind of said, you know, there's it's not unprecedented for a number one goaltender to lose his job to a guy who is kind of a tweener or, or a, a backup goalie who is still kind of young enough, who could be a, a platoon-type guy, kind of like uh, we saw with Grubauer. And I just thought maybe this is a time to try and figure it out. Can he play against a top-end team like Pittsburgh? Because last night, I, I just, when I saw that he didn't pull, when Keith didn't pull Anderson after the fifth goal, I figured, okay, maybe... He's keeping him in there just because he plans on putting Campbell in and, and have him be fresh for Thursday. But it turns out that's not exactly what they plan to do. Uh, I assume, I don't know if you've heard or not, but I assume Tristan Jerry is going to be back in net for uh, the Penguins tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, you made a good point there. I thought the same thing. I'm like, what? I mean, it's very interesting to me. They're not pulling this guy. Oh, and I looked at the schedule. I'm like, oh, they got him on Thursday. They must be, you know, starting the other guy. So that makes sense. Uh, I honestly don't know. Uh, and and I'll say this as a fan of Pittsburgh, we've seen. I'm no shame. I'm no stranger to these goalie controversies. We saw it with Mark Andre Fleury and Matt Murray uh, a couple of years ago. Flurry had some struggles and some issues, and Thomas Vokun ended up taking over for a playoff run there right. for a little bit, only to have Flurry come back in. And I've always been the the fan of ride the hot hand. Uh, I, I love Mark Andre Flurry. But uh, I was by no means loyal to him over the logo like a lot of fans are in Pittsburgh, and they still to this day say they made the mistake of getting rid of him and keeping Matt Murray. I'm the guy who says uh, it's better to to move on and regret than to hold on to a guy too long and regret because I you just saw what Murray did. He was younger. He was he won the two cups. It was a no brainer to me. It was like Mark's had a great career here, but it's time for him to go. Uh, and, you know, it hasn't worked out picture perfect like everyone thought it would. But now with Jari, you've got a similar situation where you got another young guy coming up who has potential and you just don't know, right? The goalies are such a crapshoot. You just don't know. But I am always a favor of riding the hot hand. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jari got uh, another go at it. But also, again, you know, Murray hasn't played that bad since he was earlier this year so. They want to see what he's got going down the stretch and kind of just keep alternating these guys to keep them both fresh. Well, we'll have to see what ends up happening tomorrow night. But uh, once again, Pittsburgh and Leafs tomorrow night, uh, February 20th. That'll be here in Toronto. Uh, that'll be a good game. Definitely going to want to tune into it. Leafs, hopefully they'll be able to battle back uh, from our perspective. I'm sure you think differently, but it's still, I think it should be a good game. I'm expecting a good response out of Toronto at the very least. All right, uh, we're going to move on here a little bit, and we're going to discuss the trade market with the trade deadline coming up. So why don't we start with the Penguins? Do you see them making a move by the deadline? What do you think they need? Yeah, uh, GMJR, as we lovingly refer to him here in Pittsburgh, Jim Rufford is no stranger to making moves at the deadline. It's kind of his calling card. Uh, and I think since they've already made the Zucker move, I, I think you're looking at, so another type of depth move, maybe uh, a depth forward, usually like someone versatile who can play like center or wing or another depth defenseman. Like I said, with Marino going down, they're kind of getting thin on defense. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him pick up like a six or seven type defenseman 
Uh, I don't have anyone specific in mind. I've been I've been racking my brain going over the uh, TSN trade bait <laughs> list here, just trying to see who's out there, who could be a fit. I mean, they have some room. I think they have something like $4 million in cap room, and they're going to get Nick Budestad back soon. So I could see Budestad being a piece going somewhere, or I could see them trying to work him back into the lineup and, and being that kind of impactful forward return at the deadline instead of going out and getting somebody else. There are some intriguing names out here, though, like, Connor Sheary, a former Penn, who put up good numbers in the playoffs. Uh, he's going to be a possible UFA with Buffalo. hasn't quite worked out like they had hoped. Casperi uh, Kapanen, also a former Penguin with the, with your Leafs, who, you know, it just hasn't quite worked out there, I don't think, the way they had hoped. Uh, he's been in, the, I guess I guess you call it the doghouse a little bit. I don't know the full story, but it seems like he's had some issues there. Uh, yeah, I look called- at, like, Josh Anderson. We're oh, calling him Kasperi Napanen because he tends to sleep in and <laughs> miss morning practice. Which is surprising <laughs> from a uh, former professional player's kid, right? You would expect he would yeah. be the guy kind of setting the tone and, and leading the example for everybody. Yeah, but eh, he likes his beauty sleep, I guess. When you're, when you're sleeping with supermodels, <laughs> you got to look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, there are some guys out there. The problem is a lot of the guys I look at and like, and probably the reason I'm most familiar with them are guys in the, in the division. And I just don't see that. I don't see teams trading within the division. I like, I look at Columbus and they've got Josh Anderson. who's a great depth forward who can really score. And, and I look at the Rangers. They got a lot of guys they can potentially move because they might be big time stellars here. Uh, but you know, I just don't expect that within the division. Uh, I, what do you think the Leafs are going to do? You got any predictions? Oh, I certainly do. I think uh, they went out and did some heavy lifting, obviously getting Campbell and, and Kyle Clifford, uh, which is two things that they desperately needed, was a, a backup goaltender, a guy who could kind of push Anderson and, and give him rest when needed. And also in Clifford, they got themselves a rugged, experienced winger who has a winning pedigree with two cups already with the Kings. So now there's kind of only one thing left on the shopping list for the Leafs, and that's a defensive right-shot defenseman who we can slot into our top four. I think that's what Toronto desperately needs. The problem is, and I'm sure you saw yesterday, it seems like the prices for some of these defensemen are kind of high. And for the Leafs especially, they're looking for defensemen with term, which means that's going to be even more expensive. You know, the names have been floating out there, you know, Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon, Jeff Petrie, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen from Buffalo has started to kind of creep up into conversations uh, as of late. And I just, I, I don't know if Toronto has the assets to make a sizable move like that uh, just because they don't want to give up a first-round pick again. They don't want to give up either Sandine or Lilligren or Nicholas Robertson. They're three uh, blue-chip prospects that they have in the system. And when it comes down to it, I don't know what else they could really give up. I mean, there is Kasperi Kapanen or Alex Kerfoot, but are you really going to get a top-four defenseman for those guys if they're the main piece? You know, some Leaf fans seem to think that way. If you look at the message boards, they're, they think that's going to happen. You know, bottom nine forward, a second-round pick, and a random prospect, right? That's the formula on every message board on every team. But that's oh, just yeah. not how it is in the real world and in the NHL. I would love for them to go out and solidify the back end with a top-four defenseman, but it's going to be so difficult. But... Dubas has been pretty good so far when it comes to making moves. He made a little move today, actually, making a, a deal with Florida to bring in Dennis Mulgan, not to be confused with Evgeny Malkin. But uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> trust me, there was a lot of people who had to do a double take when they saw Leafs acquire Mulgan. But um, 
you know, making that little move today makes me feel like, okay, maybe he brought him in because he might be looking to move Kerfoot and he brought in, you know, a bottom six center so that he kind of already has a Kerfoot replacement if he uses him to go to get a defenseman. So, you know, Dubas works weird like that. He makes sure, I read a, a piece the other day looking at all of his trades and his trade history shows that when he makes moves, he he makes them and he also finds a backup for that player. Like when he moved out Zaitsev, a uh, right-hand defenseman, he brought in Cody Cece to replace those minutes. When he moved out uh, Nazem Kadri, yeah, he brought in Tyson Berry, but he also sneakily got Alex Kerfoot, a, a guy who could replace him on the third line to take those minutes. So I feel like maybe in a, in a weird way that made that minor trade that he made today might mean that he's got something big in the hopper. And honestly, the, the Leafs need it. They cannot go forward with the team that they have right now because, well, you witnessed it last night, and it's been a problem over the last little bit. It's just something's not right with them, and they need a little bit of a shakeup, especially on the back end and defensively. Um, What's the vibe that you're getting from Montreal when it comes to Ilya Kovalchuk in particular? We've heard from both sides of the story that if they can get a good deal, they'll move him. But also, we've also heard that, you know, he's so good in the locker room and he's played really well and the teammates really like him and they might look to extend him. What are you thinking they do out there? I would not be shocked whatsoever if they kept him. So I, we we just recorded a podcast today. It's coming out tomorrow. That's Hockey Talk. And I had on a uh, guy who runs a Twitter account, he's a mysterious fella. He's at NHL Rumors Daily. Mm. Uh, he doesn't reveal his identity, but he's pretty plugged in and he's got some good sources. His info usually turns out pretty good. And uh, he wasn't too high on them moving Kobolchuk. He kind of said the same thing. Like, they seem to like him there, right? And he's a guy who uh, – he doesn't fit everywhere, right? We saw in L.A. it was a complete disaster. He wasn't motivated. He looked like he was done. Then he comes to Montreal, and it's been like a resurgence. Now, granted, yeah, they could move him, and they could get some assets. But if you can keep that guy, and if you think you're a team that could make a push within the next like year or two, now, I don't think they are, but they might, and that's the difference. So if it was me and I was Mark Bergevin, I'd move him for the best offer they could get. Uh, but I would not be shocked whatsoever if they keep him around, if he's a guy who can provide uh, a good leadership for those young players and some timely scoring because that's something Montreal's needed for years mm-hmm. is, a, is an impact goal score like that. Yeah, I just, you know, at 35 years old already, and, and he's going to be 36 next year, you know, when one is going to fall off, and it seemed like it already had once before, and he might be playing just on fumes right now, really playing on adrenaline of being in a new market. Just, you know, Kovalchuk still kind of has that baggage of a guy who could just fall off at any time like he did in L.A. So if you're Montreal, maybe you think about capitalizing on on it right now while the iron's hot and while he's still an asset that people want. Because two, three months ago, he was literally sitting on the street after he got bought out from L.A. and nobody was knocking on the door. Montreal signed him to a league minimum contract and it just happened to work out for him. So I I would be... Uh, surprise if they kept him, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I think that – I actually, no, I'm, I'm with you. They should trade him, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. However, who knows with Bergevin? You know, he, he's, he's got a kind of got a mind of his he's own. He's a wild card, man. <laughs> He really is. And the only thing that makes me think that they might be open for business is they did sell on Scandella yesterday 
So maybe that is a sign that, hey, we might not be ready to get into the playoff race. We're kind of out of it now. Uh, we're open for business. Start start making the phone calls. We'll see. It's 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 going to be an interesting few days as we head to the deadline. I just know, you know, uh, for me working at TSN, everybody's just hoping, okay, can we just stop the deals right now? Yesterday we had a whole barrage of them come in, and everyone's like, are we going to have anything for the show on Monday? So if you are going to trade Kovalchuk, Bergevin, because if you listen, obviously don't, but whatever. Uh, just wait till Monday, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, same thing kind of happened last year, right? There were a flurry of deals yeah. like a week, the week leading up to the deadline, and then deadline day, it was it was kind of it was kind of dull. It's a shame. I, I enjoy watching. I love watching Trade Center on deadline day. You know, even though I'm American, we don't get TSN here. I used to get a VPN back in the day and find a Reddit stream or something and hack in. I felt like I was doing code <laughs> or being some sweet hacker. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I same too, man. When I was a kid, I used to st- skip school, watch it, all that good stuff. And now it's, it's kind of surreal that I get to be here for uh, for the the real thing. Give me your give me your hot take on a player you think or a trade that you think makes so much sense that might happen. Just a total fit you kind of been thinking around the league or somebody you want for a specific team. Just give me a hot take here. Yeah, I'll give you one. It's probably going to piss you off. Uh, I don't think they should do it at the deadline, but this offseason, I think Toronto has to look at moving one of those forwards, probably William Nylander, because I really like Mitch Marner. I really like Austin Matthews. And Tavares, I I think he's probably just unmovable at this point with with that deal he signed and and being the hometown guy. I think if you want that that big top four defenseman, arguably probably want another top pairing defenseman to go with Morgan Riley, I think Nylander's probably the, the odd man out and the best guy to be able to give you a return like that. And, and, you know, I haven't watched him night in, night out. I don't know that much about his game. But like I said, those those other three guys I feel like are are probably the core that I would trust and go mm-hmm. with. And to me, it just seems like he's another high-priced forward who you can get a good return with. And you subtract a little bit from the strength of your team, but you got to add to the weakness and shore up that back end. Yeah, you're looking to kind of balance your team out a little bit with a move like that. Um, you know, Willie's he had a bad season last year, which kind of gave him a bit of a bad rep and a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But he's had a good year. He's been one of the more consistent players for the Leafs this season. And now you're looking at it, that $7 million contract, year by year, seems like it's going to look like more and more of a steal. So the Leafs would rather not move one of those four guys. Uh, but, you know, you got to give to get. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's the guy who ends up going out the door to do that. For me, and I'm calling my shot on this one, I think Florida and Minnesota are going to get a deal done between Matt Dumba and Vinny Trocek. I just, it seems like... Okay, I, I don't I, hate it. Yeah, I, I've heard that Matt Dumba, you know, Matt Dumba's on the on the block. People are calling on him, and the ask is either a, a, a number one center or a number two, a top six center, essentially, uh, and something else. And I think Vinny Trocek and Matt Dumba would just be a perfect swap. Maybe Florida has to add a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure what they'd have to add, but... You know, Trocek, I think, is a great player, but right now he's kind of being uh, moved down the lineup a little bit. He's not getting his his proper time just because Barkov is so good. Um, And I think that Florida could 
they have some good center depth. They got a kid, Henrik Borgstrom, down in the, in, the, in the minors that could move up. They got some good depth, and they really need to solidify their defense. I think just like Toronto, Florida's defense has been just as bad, and it's a big reason why they're also on the outside looking in on the playoffs. So I think maybe they take from their strife down the middle and kind of use that to go out and get a guy like Matt Dumba, and it just kind of fits in what both teams are looking for. That's my hot my hot take, and that's my trade that I think uh, might go down next week at the deadline. You like it? I do like it. You know, I mean, it's a hockey trade, right? It helps yeah. out both teams, guys with term. Vinny Trocek, uh, a Pittsburgh guy who Billy G has to know about. He had to have had to have heard about him while he was in the organization and, right. and kept a close eye on him. And he, I, I think you're right. He's a guy who's been playing that like third line role in Florida. But I think on the right fit and the right team, he could be bumped up to a second line. I don't know if he's a first-line guy, but maybe. Minnesota's kind of struggled with uh, high-end centers throughout their uh, throughout the organization's existence, right? They've, they've had Miku Koivu, who's been the guy there for so long, but he's never really been like that top-end offensive guy. He's been a good two-way player. And Trocek is kind of in that same mold. like, But he can score. You know, I'm not knocking his offensive ability. And Dumba... That's a guy I was hoping the Penguins were going to be on earlier this year because uh, watching him play, man, he, I know he's had some goal-scoring issues this year, but in the past he could light the lamp and get hit. He's physical. Uh, I, I love it. I think it helps out both teams tremendously. Uh, all right, we got about five more minutes left here in the podcast. Uh, really quickly, I just want to move on and kind of get your thoughts on the playoff race right now. Uh, I think at the end of – so it's it's a pretty good race. It's turned out to be a good race. I think earlier in the season, it seemed like uh, the Metro Division was kind of running away with things when it came to the wild card, especially in the Eastern Conference. So a lot of Toronto fans are like, oh, no, we, we got to win ourselves a divisional spot if we even want to stand a chance to make the playoffs because it seems like everyone out in the Metro is just kind of running away with the wild card. But I think it's kind of evened out a little bit. And now I think uh, Florida, Toronto, Philly, Columbus, Carolina, all five of those teams, uh, you can also throw the Islanders in there as well. Uh, all five of those teams kind of battling for that wild card position in my mind. Who do you think ends up making it out of the East when all said and done? Uh, great question. I think Boston and Tampa, obviously the powerhouses in the Atlantic, I think we're going to see some incredible second-round matchups. I think we hopefully we get a Pittsburgh-Washington matchup and we get a Boston-Tampa matchup yeah. in the second round. Absolutely a wild card. I think Toronto gets in as the third. Uh, I think I think Philly holds off everyone else, and I think the divisions stay right where they're at now. And a wild card, I'm going to assume the Islanders hold on. And, boy, it's going to be a battle between Columbus and Carolina. I feel like I, I don't think Florida gets in. I don't think they're going to go on uh, any more of a run than they already have it's tough to count up Tortorella and Columbus, right? It just seems like every year you just say, oh, this is it. They got rid of everybody. They don't have it anymore. And somehow, some way, that guy lights a fire under their ass and they're blocking shots and they got guys nobody's ever heard of diving in lanes, eating pucks, and they find some timely scoring and they get it. I, I would I would bet on Columbus to sneak into the last wild card spot, especially with the run Elvis Merzlikens is on, just kind of unreal. Carolina's still not quite settled with their goaltending uh, I, I think Columbus is the team. I I have pretty much the exact same as you, except I have the Islanders actually fallen out of it. I think they've they've kind of fallen a little bit in the standings. Oh, I they, wish, man. 
I, I, I hope. I, I know. I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I like Carolina. I think that they're a super skilled team. I think uh, Carolina's got a good chance to, to go on a bit of a run here. Um, and the Islanders, they just, they can't score. They don't really have anyone to put the puck in the net, right? And the defensive structured system that they've had over the last couple of years has worked for them. It really had, well, I guess last season, it worked for them. And it's kept them in the race this long. I just, I don't see it happening. And I, I think they're going to fall out of it. Uh, out West, real quick, for myself, I got St. Louis, Dallas, Columbus. And then I have Vegas, Vancouver, and Calgary making it in the division. And then I'm going to go ahead and say that Nashville goes on a run here towards the second half. They've kind of, after after they fired the coach, they've really kind of picked it up a little bit. And I also think that Edmonton will be able to kind of withstand this McDavid injury. And uh, they'll be able to, to get through. And that's my Western Conference. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm going to do what I did last year, and it bit me in the ass, but I'm saying it this year. I think Arizona finally uh, gets it done and gets back into the playoffs. I think they take one of those wild card spots, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Calgary uh, kind of make some moves, and maybe they dance and switch around with Vegas and Vancouver here a couple spots. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think uh, Edmonton, yeah, I think they're going to be fine without McDavid. Dreisaitl's playing at just such an incredible level right now oh, that ever- I think he can carry the water there. He's making up for literally all the deficiencies on that team, and it's it's impressive to see. Um, I, I like Dallas a lot as kind of a sleeper, just kind of getting it done all season long. No one's really talking about them. Ben Bishop's playing awesome. Again, they're such a good team defense. Uh, and Colorado, it feels like they've been knocking on the doors and doing something big for years now, and it, it's at any moment they could explode and just knock the doors off of everybody. Uh I don't think Winnipeg has what it takes. I think Hellebuck's having an incredible year, but I don't think – I think without Bufflin, I think without Lyon having a superstar year, uh, I just don't know if they – I love Nashville too, man. I love them, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's been that same team. It seems like they got too many guys who are along for the ride and not enough guys driving. I just they they've been playing a lot better as of late, which which makes me believe that the second half, like Mikel Granlin's starting to pick it up. Kyle Turvis, believe it or yep. not, has been playing adequately as of late. You know, Philip Forsberg. You know, I just it, it, really it's going to come down to Pecorine and whether or not he can kind of return to form. And uh, maybe I'm erring on this on the side of optimism based on how well they've done the last few weeks. But I just I think that they'll be able to just squeak in. But it's impressive that they're even back into the conversation because. You know, I think as little as a month ago, I kind of had them as as a team that was done, down and out, and they've somehow just kind of kept plugging away. And here we go, here I am calling my shot, calling them a playoff team. It's it's kind of remarkable how they've been able to rebound this season. Yeah, the the West has been so uh, insane, crazy, upside down to me this year. It's like you know, for so long, Winnipeg, Nashville, uh, San Jose. And L.A. had been just such powerhouses. And then we saw L.A. the past two, three years has kind of dipped down. Calgary kind of had a rise last year, an incredible season last year. Edmonton, obviously, with McDavid and Vegas out of nowhere the past couple of years. And in St. Louis, going from uh, worst to best last year was just uh, unthinkable to watch happen and unfold. They were, they were, they were unbeatable, so... It's anyone's game, obviously, in the West, but I think you look at that that St. Louis, Dallas, Colorado, that Central Division's like murderers' oh, roads. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough to come out of there. 
Uh, but yeah, like I said, I like Dallas. I like St. Louis to do it again, potentially. And I like Colorado. Uh, Vegas, I don't know what's going on there. I really don't. <laughs> that team is loaded with talent. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's too much talent and not enough uh, pretty hard-nosed guys doing the work. Who would have thought that three years ago when the team came into the league that we would be saying three years later, man, that's a team with so much talent. Like, it's insane how... It's, it's wild. To, I it thought is. this, like, three years in, that might be when you first start to think about them. It's like a, a, a somewhat playoff team, and now they seem like mainstays. It seems crazy that they're gonna, they could potentially miss. I know. It's wild. All right, Nick, uh, that's going to do it for us today, man. Really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Booker. Thanks for having me. Always love talking hockey. Uh, anytime, anytime, I'd love to come on. Yeah, we'll have to have you on uh, once again. Go check out Nick's podcast, That's Hockey Talk, with Nick Moraldo and A.Q. Shipley. Uh, you can also hear him on the Pat McAfee Show. He's a busy guy, folks, so we're really happy and uh, happy that he came onto the show today. So thanks a lot for this, Nick. I appreciate you, brother. Go Leafs. All right. Hope you enjoyed that chat. I I know I did. Uh, I, I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show as well. You can subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. You can follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And also follow Nick at Nick Moraldo. All right. Be sure to check back in here tomorrow. We'll be recapping the game against the Penguins and let's hope that... We got a much better mood on the podcast in that one. Until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.